What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill, S2H. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You could use our code ADVICES for some additional savings. Plus, hey, listen, it helps us to support our programming. When we are doing podcasts about steroids and drugs and all that shit, we don't monetize this. So that helps to support us if you guys shop with them or check out our Patreon. I'll put links to that below. Gentlemen, what's going on? Well, we don't monetize, but primarily because we can't. Exactly. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that we don't want to. It's, it's they won't let us. So, yeah. you know, there's rules and it's all that type of shit. We're probably like one step away from being banned. Like if the show just disappears off YouTube, it's because, yeah. Yeah. We crossed we'll have to go line. to Patreon or, or you know, I started somewhere Patreon, else. So there's that. Did you? We have, yeah. pa- good. We have Patreon. Yeah. It's, it's good to have backup options. Yeah. Yes. So what's up, guys? How you doing? We killed off some Whole Foods pizza when we were, you know, having our hardware issues. Is that what you were eating? I didn't it's, even look. Yeah, Whole Foods pizza is not real pizza. It's better pizza. Yeah, it's, it's good, good pizza. It's, healthy. it's good. No, it's not. It's pizza. It's, but it's it delicious. is good pizza. Yeah. I'll tell you this. It is very underrated. So if you pass the pizza in Whole Foods and you go, God, that kind of looks good. It is fucking good. Yeah. So Dude, you know, it's still pizza, but it's good. Their shit. whole pre-covid hot food bar was the bomb like oh yeah the bomb the brisket the chicken everything they still have it oh they may not have it in michigan yeah we don't have it okay we, don't have we it. have they it have down it here i was using it for my loads every sunday i was Dude. going through and getting a whole bunch of shit it's awesome Isn't it delicious man yeah it's awesome yeah yep. and, and you know you talk people complain about paying about you know a bunch of money because it is expensive oh yeah but legit they don't they don't make their stuff with you know, high fructose corn syrup, all the, you know, GMO and all that type of extra. It really is, you know, pretty healthy shit. You're paying more for it, but it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. We're not brought to you by Whole Foods, but we support no, them. Yeah. We might be. If we keep it up, we might be in a couple of weeks and that would be a yeah. hell of a spot. We could do that. You can make. Are you telling me that you could make that? We happen? Might, I can make that happen. I'm connected. I'm connected well, in the south. Stage. What's going on, man? Supposed to snow here. You're kidding me. You're are, like are you being are you 30, joking or are you 30, no, it's 30 degrees out right now. They said it's gonna snow. No shit. Huh. So, you know, here everybody fucking panics and oh yeah. It's like, you know, we're all gonna die. And they run the stores like crazy. It's yeah, I mean it Pink might if it snows, it'll flurry, you know. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll be 80 on Thursday. Anybody in New Orleans, I just read before we started the podcast that there's a state of emergency because they're going to drop below freezing. Yeah, that's the same thing here, dude. They a state out. of emergency. Holy shit. It's yeah. brutal. You're like, wrap your pipes, drain your, winterize your, your fucking, uh, whatchamacallit, irrigation stuff on your yard. Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to die. We're all, we're, I mean, it's over, dude. All right. Make sure the water trickles in spaghetti. I think they described it as spaghetti a spaghetti trickle that's what it was there's a certain system you have to do to to winterize it all right let's talk to bodybuilding guys because we have a bunch of stuff we for starters skip has an evolving relationship with reps in reserve so i want to hear all (laughs) about that because i feel like at one point he was probably like fuck that shit if you're not going to absolute failure every time then you're not even working out but his Relationship is evolving, so I want to hear about that. We might 
talk a little bit about what seems to be what was a touchy subject between a few people online. Is bodybuilding a sport or a beauty pageant? Uh, I have a bunch of questions. Thank you guys. First of all, everybody from the group pitched in last minute and uh, gave us a bunch of questions. I think I have some on Instagram, too, so I'll check over there. Uh, tons of bodybuilding questions, though. Gear, training, gear, diet, and gear. All of those things will be covered here. Skip has been coaching people for 20-plus years. Now, if you do the math on that, as a full-time coach, I mean, that's literally thousands and thousands of people. And I'm not like... It would, you would be a douchebag if you were like, I've coached thousands of people, but I can say it. You have. You have. And he can say it too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, though, there is something to be said about that. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. We talked about S2H's uh, background the other week uh, coming up through basically understanding everything about the weird and random compounds that exist in this sport. So uh, I'm excited to dig into this. Before we get to the questions, let's talk about this reps and reserve stuff because I want to hear what's up with it. Where are you at? Where am I at? Um, I'll tell you where I am now versus where I was a couple months ago. I, I'm looking into it a little bit more. And when I say that, it kind of sounds or gives the implication that I uh, kind of just didn't pay much attention to it at first and give it much attention. And that would be true. <laughs> for the same reasons that you were saying, Scott, because it's just a mat. You know, I've, I've always kind of approached training, and I've been training for a long time. How long, Scott, S2H? 31 years and six weeks and four days. 36. Anyway, <laughs> point being, after a certain amount of time, you do kind of get locked into some things that you consider to be very black and white. And one of those things is, you know, you train your ass off, in as short amount of time as you can and you get the hell out of the gym and you grow. I mean, that's just always the way I've kind of approached it. So um, when it comes to reps in reserve, I, I had to laugh when I first heard it because I thought, Oh, there's a fancy name for not working very hard. I figured because that was yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how I looked at it. And you know, it's kind of an eye roll because I'm like, God, go figure, you know, you got to take something now and you know, we have to put this science bullshit with it and, and try to make it sound scientific and everything else. But anyway, the long story short is <laughs> I start looking closer at my own training and I have this battle. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. You know that you grow typically the large majority of people will grow well on lower volume and higher intensity work. I think it's kind of a given to different degrees as far as, you know, what is, low volume, what is high intensity, things like that. And those definitions aren't terribly black and white. The point is, by and large, I think most people know that they progress while doing that. The problem is, is a lot of times we leave the gym feeling like, I think if I did a little bit more, I could have done more work. I think if I did a little more work, I might have gotten more out of it. I think the longer you train, two things happen. One, people who've trained for a long time do prefer, usually, uh, higher volume. They want to work. Their work ethic is strong because they've been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah. Number two, they have a high pain tolerance in the sense that it, and, and I know that people who haven't trained for, for very long are thinking, well, I've got a high pain tolerance too. That's possible. But yeah. the reality is the longer you train, the more you can tolerate, not only the more intensity you can generate because you're going to train harder 
at, you know, five years in than you are at one year in. You may not think you are because you think that you're training at 100%. But as you build muscle and you kind of lock in those pathways between the brain and the muscle that you're working, you can generate more intensity. You're contracting the muscles harder. You're taking the set further. And, and I think people will come to realize that if they train, well, once you train for a long time, you can literally find yourself, I think, over overtraining or dancing on that line of being overtrained. And it doesn't feel like it. It feels like normal training and pulling back from that is kind of like, well, shit, this isn't, you know, terribly uncomfortable. This isn't training that I, you know, I, I can still more. do it. Exactly. I, I can more. do another set. I can do, you know, that sort of thing. So what I have kind of come to see in my own training is, and, you know, if you're not constantly analyzing your training and your progress and you're leaving, you know, a lot on the table. Yeah. So in looking at it, I'm looking at it going, gosh, you know, these workouts are going great. I've been progressing. At the same time, I'm thinking, man, you know, my strength is literally the same in prep as it is when my calories are higher in the off season. Why is that? That really probably shouldn't be. I should be stronger in mm. the off season when my weight is higher and things like that. So I uh, forced myself to back off on the volume these last, and it's only been a few weeks. And I started to look into this reps and reserve. I'm not going to leave reps and reserve technically and count them as working sets, but I have cut in looking at that approach. I've looked at my total volume and let's just say, instead of taking your top two sets to failure, I take the first set to nine, roughly 90%, which again, comes back to reps and reserve. I'm not counting like, like oh, I had three more reps or I had one more rep, but I'm yeah. getting close to failure and leaving it and leaving that last set for kind of an all out thing. And within three weeks, my poundages are up like 10%. It's just retarded. It's, it's funny because then of course your recovery is so much better. Yep. And you start to notice it. And, and it's not even just your poundages. It's how things feel. Mm -hmm. The dumbbells, when you start and you get it three or four, you're like, oh, my God, like this just feels 30 pounds lighter than it should versus, oh, my God, this feels like it's going to crush me at three. But I managed to get 12 with good form. Yeah. There's a different feel in that when you're recovering the way that you're supposed to. Dude, I don't even know if I would title this reps in reserve as much as you're doing what I'm doing, which is what I would call, you know, your own version of high intensity. Right. You know? Yeah. I think what it is, is the reps in reserve kind of got me to, to, to where you're look at. at it closer. Yeah. yeah to yeah. kind of take a closer look at it. And the primary reason, if I'm, you know, being honest, is I was struggling, been struggling with my legs, especially coming off this injury. I'm like, you know, I want to really make huge strides with my legs. This actually my back has been injury free for almost five years. There's no excuse now to be uncomfortable or think that I'm going to blow my back out. I still have to keep it in the back of my mind, but I need to train my, I need to train heavier and I need to get my weights up instead of being scared that I'm going to have to take a shit in the shower again when it's been five years now. So in doing you that, I still do that if you want to. Okay, and that was shower. something I considered as well. Even if things are going well, if I want right. to shit in the shower, it's my fucking shower. You're can, an adult. Can, yeah, you do what yeah, you want. Exactly. So in doing that, I started coming off of this, this injury, and my strength has not really gone up. And I'm looking at my strength on legs. I'm like, you know, it's been three months since I mm -hmm. have come off this injury and back to heavy leg training, and I'm really no further. I should be further along than this. So in cutting things back, that's what I have found in just the last three weeks. My poundages 
for my entire body, not just my legs, but they're starting to climb because the recovery is so much better. Am yeah. I necessarily keeping reps in reserve? Not as much as I've cut the volume considerably and I've taken that one set away from failure instead of doing two. And when you're not doing very much volume, that could be, I mean, you know, to throw numbers at it to give you an idea, that could be a 50 or, you know, 40 or 50% reduction in intensity yeah. in a sense. And that can allow, if you're teetering on the edge, I wasn't overtrained, I was still progressing, but it wasn't enough progress until I kicked back and then it just kind of took off. It's like throwing gas on a fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. I, I love it. And what you're talking about is a lot of it is, is what I've been doing. If you, you, you can do a bunch of mediocre sets for a long time in the gym. You know what I mean? Like you could spend three hours of done it training back. You can do a bunch of mediocre shit for a long time. But if you really go all out and you do something that you haven't done before, you give your body that intense stimulus, then, you know, that's really like you could tell, man, like I got everything I needed out of that set. Mm -hmm. There's no need to do those endless sets. And for people like us, I, I call us the people that aren't Brandon Curry. It's going right. to it's going to be to our advantage, you know, to to try to figure out how to recover. You know, I like we just so oh, I got to throw this in here. Tanya Miller, she says, uh, <laughs> what happened to 715? <laughs> yeah sorry we had, tanya. we had hardware issues tanya yeah it's i have um, i've got a couple clients that are in town uh training well one client uh and her significant other training this weekend and we were going to have andrea on the show with me uh we just hammered out some legs here in the the home gym and uh then she was gonna sit in with us but i had some hardware issues so we ended up being late so sorry tanya i'm just I'm trying to be a man of my word but we, uh, this is not Skip's fault. This is not S2H's fault. But let <laughs> me tell time. you though. So we did a little bit more volume for glutes. We did like, because one of her big focuses is glutes and then hams. So it was a glute hamstring focused workout. We did a few more sets for things like pre-activate the glutes. You know, we did like some uh, like hip thrusts. We did three sets of those. We did some like banded girl type stuff. I call it girl stuff. It's like what all my bikini girls, all bikini competitors do. Um, stuff laying on the floor, doing a doing a bridge with the band, all that stuff. But you do that stuff before we got into the meat and potatoes. Then we hit hamstrings. I literally did one set. Like I worked up to one brutal uh, rest pause set. And I actually, this set was the heaviest set I've done on my, my hamstring curl machine. Then from there... We moved over to, uh, what is it, hack squat. We did like sets of eight, not like failure, but like sets of eight. Probably could have gotten like 12 or so and kept working up the weight until we got to one set where we did just like a brutal all-out rest pause set. So, you know, like three sets of uh, hip thrusts, a couple little BS things before that to activate the glutes, then one hamstring curl, one uh, hack squat that's like four sets five sets that we did total for the entire workout for legs right. but i can do that and get out they're going to be sore tomorrow like that set that we did for hack squats was like all you had in you you know what i mean right. and uh i mean I, I ended up i ended up failing on it and had to like crawl out of the bottom of it um i will be sore tomorrow but i will recover from that too you know what i mean 
You know, I think too, if anybody's listening and they know the ins and outs of reps and reserve, like let's just say someone wrote a manifesto and there is a specific 100% way to do it. I haven't read that. I'm not aware of that. I'm taking reps in reserve at face value, basically saying, you know, if, if you can get 12 and you leave two in the tank and you're only getting nine or 10, yeah. you leave two or three in the tank, then that I'm taking it that way so if there is a very black and white way that it's done i'm not aware of that yeah the the black and white way of reps and reserve would be you and now i and here's the thing too i've seen people get it kind of confused where i've known people that are like they always train with two reps in reserve like that's just what i do you know i think the way that i've seen it work well for people are the people where they because you can only like be your strongest ever for so long like you can't progressively move up you know so periodization would be you know okay let's say that i just lifted the heaviest i ever lifted on my dumbbell incline press now next week we back it down to three reps in reserve so i still use the same weight but i leave a few in the tank and then Mm -hmm. or four or whatever and then the following week we do two reps or one rep in reserve and then the following week then we hit it again and i try to get more than i did before I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm having a hard time adapting to that. Instead, um, I was talking to Ben Pollock about this, and I'm kind of going with with lightening the weight a little bit and then making it like like how hard was that actual set? Was that an everything set? That would be like a 10, you know, or whatever. Or like like if the 125s are like my hard set on dumbbell and climb press, the 115s are like an 8. Point five, you know what I mean. But if I do the one hundred fives, that's like a seven, you know. Yeah, it's funny that you say that too, because let's just take those numbers as arbitrary examples. You know, if if I'm pressing one hundred and twenty five pounds and I can get ten reps to failure, yeah. Honestly, I'm going to get more out of the set that is at the one hundred five, one ten range to failure than I am one hundred and twenty fives at my max weight it's going to feel better to me while I'm doing the set. I'm going to have better control. I'm going to have better contractions because there comes a point with me. So I assume that there comes a point with everyone where when you go too heavy, you can still get the reps. They may look like great. You know, the, the mechanics may be great. The form may visually look good from the outside, but they don't feel the same way as they do if you're, a, a small percentage of weight underneath what that max all out set actually is. Now I'm not saying stay away from the max set. All I'm saying is personally, I don't, I don't want to hit that. I don't want to focus my hundred percent of my energy, my focus on growth on that set. I'd rather focus it equally on that set prior, whether it's prior or the one after there is, I call it the green room and I am sure it's a reference from surfing Yeah, where you just get the perfect wave. It rides perfectly. It's a perfect visual. You wish you had a camera. And if you catch a hundred waves, only one of them, are you in the green room? And I sometimes think about that when I come out of a set and I'll think, Oh my God, that was just, can't every set be just like that, but they aren't. Now, did you hear that from, like surfers down there in Florida, or did you hear that on point break point? I I don't know about point break, but God, that that brings up Keanu Reeves. I'm not a big fan of his acting, but nonetheless, that what was that? Like early nineties. That's an old movie. I got it on VHS somewhere. Not only was Patrick Swayze alive, but he had blonde hair. 
he dead? He was looking like a stud in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Is he dead? <laughs> he's dead. Oh yeah, he's dead. Is he? Oh. He died of uh, I want to say pancre- pancreatic cancer, but mm-hmm. it was a cancer. It may not be pancreatic, but he died of cancer. Yeah. I like the movie when he molded the little clay thing with Demi Moore. Did you cry? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're oh, talking I, I about. That wasn't a very. I don't think that was a very popular movie at all. I like. It. <laughs> so what else do we have here, guys? Do do we want to talk about this uh, sport versus pageant thing, or do we want to move we on do. to the? We do. No, we want to. Talk I'm about telling you, it's do. a good one. All right. I heard it three times from three different pages this last week. That's what made me want to bring it up. I got asked too on one of my uh, Instagram Q and A's. Somebody asked me mm-hmm. if bodybuilding was a sport or a pageant, and then I also got asked was NASCAR a sport which i thought that was interesting i said yes Ooh, i had I, not yeah, yeah I, I I, and yes. i'll reserve my answer no i'll say yes but i'll reserve my explanation s2h you should run with it sport well, I, or body I, 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 I saw this and of course i'm not gonna comment on any kind of like twitter or anything like that because bring, it, bring, your, stupid, bring that mic in What's can you hear me bring it in close no i mean i can i can see where people who if you look at sports in general, okay, for almost all sports, um, there's a defined end state or a defined score slash uh, result that makes somebody a winner. Like I'll just take powerlifting, for example. All right? who, he who snatches, pulls, presses the most weight is going to win. Okay, Now, I can see people who don't understand bodybuilding where they may think it's kind of a pageant. And... and I'm not saying it is. I mean, I, I would put it as a sport, but the subjectivity of the um, of the of the placements, like whoever you know, winners, first, second, third, to most people, it's hard for them to really grasp that. And there's a lot of subjectivity to it. I mean, it's not there's not a real defined standard. There's not like a saying, "Hey, if you're playing golf and I shoot three under and you shoot two under, I win." You know, I mean, it's it's cut and dry. So there's not a lot of, it's not real cut and dry the how people place and win. I think it also probably gets, uh, I mean, I, I, the only reason I could see like someone saying it's a pageant is because it's similar in the aspect of it's an individual or individuals on stage in, you know, bikinis, been, you know, you know, posing trunks, whatever. So there's some similarity to there's a stage, there's people on it. They're judging a physique, they're judging a look. But where people probably get, uh, don't understand if they don't understand it, or even people that are in it sometimes can't grasp it, how there's not a real defined standard to place a winner. You know, there's not like a set, you know, hey, you drove around the track the fastest, or you hit the most balls out of the park, or whatever. Okay. So that's kind of how I look at it. Yep. I can see their point. And I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at the comment about my tan. <laughs> this is how recently I actually trained legs, by the way, guys. <clears throat> Nice. I do the same thing. Sometimes I get home and go, "Oh shit, I didn't take." Oh, don't leave off. those on, dude. You will get the worst lines in your in your in your skin. They were in my well. They were on his ankles. calves. Yeah, not yeah. at his ankles. I'm well, sure. Yeah. Plus, they're they're, like over thin, they're thin cloth ones, <laughs> so they're they're not even. They're like just to keep your leg warm. Are those custom made to go over your calves. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he needs Velcro. He's got to do Velcro latches once they're over his calf. Where are you then, Scotty McNally? Man, I'm gonna go with the sport. You know, I uh, I kind of chirped in when Scott was talking, S2H was talking, saying, what about gymnastics? You know, there's 
there things like that or ice skating. Um, they're subjective. Yeah, they they are subjective. I think that that it crosses some lines. I do think that it does take talent, though. I'll inject that, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you used the word inject. One thing, one thing real quick yeah. though with like gymnastics and ice skating, not that I follow either very well, but mm-hmm. my mother does, is they have set moves that people have to perform to a certain standard That's to score true. high enough. So there is a expectation of a certain standard of performance. Right. You know, I mean, it, I think that would be a little bit different, but I can see the similarity. Boxing. I mean, there's a lot of boxing matches. People think somebody won and somebody didn't. Yeah. You know? Right, but you're looking primarily at the judging component of it, which it's a part. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's what, what I was talent component. Well, is that where you were going? Well, what I was going to was now until you've actually done it. Like I feel like here's the thing. I feel like and listen, I all respect everybody deserves to have their own opinion. I think that's totally great. I do think though sometimes I hear a lot of opinions from people who haven't like really had a lot of experience with bodybuilding and people who haven't had a lot of experience with bodybuilding on the competitive level. And you know, you're like I said, you're entitled to your opinion, but I think a lot of times it's those people. And I feel like there's like a certain amount of negativity that comes along with that, that say they're the people who are like, you're not an athlete, you know, bodybuilders aren't athletes. And those are like, then a lot of the people though, who say that, are just like the fans. They're the people right. that don't really know. Like you can you can be a big fan of it. You can listen to all of Fuad's podcasts and you can understand the way he thinks by kind of paying attention really closely. You can know all the names. You can know what a good pose looks like. But until you've actually been up there battling side by side for first place, you don't know what it feels like physically to hold a pose under those conditions. And I think that that does take, it takes a lot of, a lot of physical strength to do. So I, I will say that there, there is definitely a lot of fine tuned ability and the guys who do it really well. Like if you just watch pro bodybuilders, you know, a lot of people are just fans of the pro level. Like they make it look easy. You know, they make it look so easy. Even the guys who aren't considered to be like great posers, like they're blowing away, you know, like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Like these guys are so, in my opinion, they're, it's, I don't know how you would define talent, but they put so much effort into learning how to do that, learning how to do that well. And, uh, you know, presenting yourself and holding those poses is something that until you've actually done it on stage, you don't know what it's like. So I'll say that there, there's an amount of like athleticism that that takes. And then, it gets kind of murky, but then there's some athleticism, you know, in the gym too, like the, the, the work that you have to do. And you always hear people say that the competition doesn't happen on the stage, which it does, you know, but the competition happens leading up to the show, you know, that, that that's where all the work is done. I think that it takes a great deal. I wouldn't say that it's all sport. I think it's part sport and part pageant. I think that it doesn't really fit into anything. And let's face it. I mean, I love the sport, but sure, yeah, it is weird. Like, if you really think about bodybuilding, it's a weird thing, you know? And that's, mm-hmm. I love it, you know? But it, it is strange. Um, yeah, that, I mean, to I say think they're not athletes, though, I think that would be, I don't know how somebody could say that. Yeah, you hear it, though. Looking at the guys up there, I mean, there's you hear it, though. Talent you hear it, though. and athleticism there. Talent? Yeah, Where's the talent? 
I want to hear the talent because I, I'm I'm obviously leading into the fact that I disagree because I see it as a pet. Well, ta- talent pattern. can be. Talent and I'm not saying you're wrong because you are right. You made a very good point, Scott. And this is what I said online too, and I got you know jumped on for it, which is hilarious because that's the internet. But you are entitled. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying how I view it, how I view what we do after doing it for, for so long. And it doesn't mean that because I've done it longer, that my opinion is better than someone who hasn't done it as long. I'm just saying I've done it for a long time. I've been up there. I've been the competitor and I still see it the way that I see it. So how do you so see I'm it? just asking where the talent, what part of it is talent? Well, there's talent in anything. Like someone could say, Hey, Skip, you're very talented at talking a lot. Okay, okay, here's the talent. You are. Okay. But I mean, but, you know, but there's so no talent. Talent's a very general word. Here's the talent. talent like, talent's here's, very here's the talent. Word. Terrence Ruffin. He's a talented poser. He's great at what he does on stage. Okay, and, and, and I, I would agree with the posing component of it, but he's not winning shows because of his posing. He's winning, in my opinion, he's winning shows because of his physique. The posing is an added dimension that may set him apart you know, from, from other people, but it's not typically going to win a show. I mean, you're judged. I've seen guys who pose poorly physique. though. Guys that don't, the guys that have like, we'll say the opposite level of talent to Terrence that have brought, I can think like, I don't want to put them on the spot, but I think one guy that I really like a lot. And there was a critique this past year that he could have placed higher had he been a better poser. So I do think that posing does play a role into it. Like knowing it's part, it's just like, to me, that's part of it. If you, I do think it's a part of it, but I think it's incredibly uncommon that the posing can take you up in placings unless everything in an odd situation is just so bizarrely neck and neck. I'm not saying it's not important, but let's just take it at this Take, I guess I'm looking at it this way. At Terrence's level, mm-hmm. I won't disagree with the fact that the posing is far more important. But if you get into the pretty much in damn near every show in the amateur ranks, I mean, it's just such a mind. Now, Let if me, you, if no, you I can, disagree, can present you can your physique, present it differently. If you yeah, now, if you're just going to do it poorly and you're not going to be able to <clears throat> to display your physique, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. At, at a level to where you know you're just really shitty at it that then i can agree with that i just don't see the talent in what we do to prepare for competition the posing i guess could be considered considered a talent outside of the talent though the dieting the picking up weights and put you know you can what do you really work out better than anybody that to me is not me is not a talent and i don't want to say that in a mocking way, if that's what you guys think, but I just don't look at training like that. It's black and white. It's do it, do it, it to the degree that you need to do it to get better. But I don't see talent in that. Talent is, is like you were saying, doing a triple lutz or or something on you know in ice skating or being able to even shoot fucking you know you're a nine ball champion on a on a pool table that takes talent now i'm not saying that's the only thing or the only reason that it that the sport of bodybuilding to me and i say sport um that i don't consider it a sport because i consider it a pageant more than anything else i'm not saying that because there's just because there's a lack of talent involved i have other (laughs) i have other reasons um I think now, now, and this might irritate some people listening, and damn sure would irritate people online. I think 
that bodybuilders, especially competitive bodybuilders who know what it takes and the all consuming components of 24 seven dieting training, it's on your mind, it's, it's, it's consuming. We want to treat it as a sport because that gives it credibility to call it a pageant mm. in our mind says we're not Hawaiian tropic girls, but you are in the very literal, simple sense of how you're judged. You're judged only on how you look. You're not, you're not judged on how you train. It indirectly impacts how you look. I agree with that. But we all know plenty of people who are 10 times better than we are on stage, and they may not train and diet as hard as we do. So it's not just a work ethic issue. You do what you have to do to be the best that you can be. But you're not judged on that. That's all left in the gym. You're judged only on what you look like. And that is no different than a Hawaiian tropic con contest at a bar with a bunch of drunks. And the Hawaiian tropic girl has the best tits and ass and she gets $500 for the night. All right. I think now I think Scott Stevenson agrees with you and he may disagree with you. I'm not sure. I didn't read all this. We'll put the comment up and we'll see what <laughs> we'll see what too, Scott one, says. One, one thing goes, yes, okay. I mean, what's the definition of a sport too? And that is true. I think Scott I think Scott gets into that here too. Let me see what he says. Let's see. Just because a particular competitive endeavor requires athleticism does not make that competitive activity a sport uh if bodybuilding were standardized as a competitive endeavor uh such that posing performance presentation were formally graded subjectively uh a la figure skating it might be considered a sport but that's not typically the way in which placings are decided uh i think i'm with skip uh what skip is going to say more of a pageant and then he adds, I've got one more here. What's what uh, I said about the judging? He says, I, I have seen uh, some guys have better talent in how they train. That's interesting. Uh, they simply can connect with the muscle in a better way. I noticed that right off the bat in training with Dave Henry, uh, different from other people. Now, that's a good point right there. What about that? I mean, I guess that could be considered a level of talent. You see people that are like natural athletes and you probably skip. You probably worked with people that are natural athletes. You know that it's like oh, they did sports all their lives. So they come to bodybuilding when they retire and they just were really good at it versus the guy like me that went to art school. And I feel like a decade later, it's like I can own it now. But it's like it took me a lot longer than some other people that were. Dude, I went to high school with this kid, Quinn. I don't want to say his last name. I don't know why protect his identity. We also did some really bad shit that we could have probably gotten to jail for. But that was high school. That time's gone. This kid was great at everything we did. Shooting pool, uh, you know, running, fighting, anything we did. He was he was just genetically connected to that shit. Is that a talent, Skip? I just I disagree with that component, you know, of, of what he's saying. Dave Henry may connect better, but it's not anything necessarily that he has earned or turned into a talent. It's something that comes easier to him. It's no different than someone picking up a baseball and being able to throw it harder than someone else or hitting a golf ball for the first time. And all of a sudden they they're pretty good at it. That's yeah, just but something you develop that, that you may, you may develop that, but again, I just, I don't see it as a talent and I'm not trying to undervalue 
you know, what we do. I mean, it is all consuming. It is it is incredibly difficult, even if you're not at a high level to be married to this and have this passion, whether you're good at it or not to do it. It's very difficult to do. So I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody. Remember, I'm in there with you know, the guys who disagree with me and maybe I've trained longer than them too and be married to it longer. I don't know. I'm saying though, strictly from the, the, the judging component, you're being judged on how you look. I just, sometimes I, I scratch my head and I go, I don't know how other people cannot see this as a pageant because that's how we're judged. It is subjective. There are parameters that you, but they're so gray. They're no different, you know, bikini contests, um, physique con, you know, women's physique. It's not straight across the board. Bikini is, I mean, you know, and I don't, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but the reality is bikini versus open bodybuilding. The criteria for open bodybuilding is at least more black and white than bikini. You can put it on paper and make it sound like it's black and white, but you can pretty much hottest girl wins. I'm not saying it now I'm oversimplifying it, but you're not, it, it's just kind of a total package, total look. And then you're going to justify that placing from there. It's, it's a, it's a glamorized pageant okay. to me. We're it just to... takes more to get there than it does for something like a, you know, Hawaiian tropics contest or something like that. I see that. I don't believe there's any talent involved. I think it is execution, consistency, discipline, you know, the day in day out, um, you know, married to it type of thing. And I think that the large part of whether you're going to be really good at it is whether you have that hereditary component to where you're more genetically predisposed. You know, it's the, um, does Phil Heath work harder than the guy who, and I feel he's an, is a bad example because he has seven Olympias, but someone who wins an Olympia or turns pro, are they necessarily working harder than the person who hasn't turned pro and doesn't have very good genetics? I don't mm -hmm. know that that's always the case. I mean, we got a lot of hardworking people at the state and regional levels who will do it for years and years and years, but they're not going to get there. Not from a, a lack of, uh, you know, talent, I guess. They just genetically don't have that. You were talking about your friend, Scott. We got to move he, on, though. Just to let okay, you know, because we're, we're right. yeah, we're going way, right. way along. So I, I was and trying to stop you a both, few minutes ago. Okay. It goes both ways. And, and that's, that's fine. If you have a different opinion, that's cool. It's when you don't, and this is what it turned into on the internet. If you don't respect the fact that there are differing opinions on it, yeah, then it turns into name calling and then you're not qualified to give an opinion and shit like that. It's just kind of laughable the way people react over it but do you have any final thoughts scott or are you good to move on get some questions knocked out skip's totally talented <laughs> talented right. but not in bodybuilding hey what's going on guys thanks for watching another podcast here at think big bodybuilding media and thank you to our great sponsor truenutrition.com for making this all possible truenutrition.com is owned by dante trudel the creator of dc training he wanted to create a supplement company that offered high quality third-party tested supplements at a fair price high quality protein powders just about every type you could think of huge variety of flavors plus health and performance supplements check them out truenutrition.com and hey, if you use our code ADVICES, you directly support our podcasting. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the program. <laughs> let's uh, let's get to some questions then because we've got a bunch of them. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't want to cut you short, but I just know like 
We'll keep go on going. and on about it. You yeah. need to cut me he, off. He reached his yeah. 17-minute limit, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah we, exactly. All right. We had the we had two topics, too, so I know people were waiting to get their questions answered. We did have a bunch of stuff, like I said, over at the Advices Radio group. Um, also, guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to comment on this post. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll get to those questions on the next episode. And also, commenting helps to boost us in the algorithm. Comments, likes, all that stuff. And if you haven't subscribed... Please do because we got a bunch of content coming out each week. Um, let's see where are we going to start here. At what body composition? This is Kyle Becker, by the way. At what body composition, uh, body fat percentage, amount of muscle uh, is ideal for starting a cycle? I'm going to guess he's saying like an off season cycle, but you know, I don't know. Say that again. Oh, like the t- the normal. Like, hey, if you're not ten percent, you shouldn't take gear. Yeah, like okay. where, like where you know where should you be if you well, want to start? Of all, I don't think most people know what body fat percentage they really are. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, I mean, true. okay, let's yeah. let's say if you're healthy, you're not obese or something. I mean, you know, this is just somebody who wants to take it for the aesthetic purposes. You know, not because they have low testosterone or something. I mean, as long as you're in decent shape, I think. There's no like set body fat, but I mean, there's a, there's a point where your body fat's so high that you're, you know, you're not healthy. So I mean, if you're healthy and your body fat's in a range where you're healthy, I guess if you want to take some stuff, then, you know, that's, you know, it's good because everybody in the world's going to tell you they're like 10% when they're really like 17, 18, 19. I mean, yeah. I don't think people know what their hell their body fat really is. Yeah. So I don't think that's a good gauge. So how, what would be a good gauge then to decide, you know, you're healthy. Are, yeah. Yeah, you know, but, that's a big one because if you're if you're if you're obese, I mean you're not mm, healthy. Your okay. heart's under a lot of strain. Your your organs, I mean, you know, blood pressure is probably high. Different things like that. So if you have good markers and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're reasonably in good shape. I mean, it's your personal choice. But you know, the people that shouldn't are the ones that are not healthy. So you know, if you have diabetes and you're overweight and all this stuff, then it's probably not the thing you want to do right then. Skip, how many people come to you? And they're like, hey, man, I've been thinking about working with a coach. I've been watching Blood, Sweat, and Gear for the last five years. And uh, I want to hire you, man. I want to grow as much muscle as I can. And they come to you and their their body fat's too high to, to really start a, a growth cycle. Um, you know, with body fat percentages, look, if he did say ideal, okay? Yeah. Ideal going into a growth phase. Uh, again, ideal is that your body fat is relatively low so that things like uh, insulin sensitivity are high and you're ready to basically um, take advantage of, of the growth phase, whether you're going into a cycle or not. But I will say if you, unless you're really well versed and advanced in using uh, not only in bodybuilding itself and you've had, you know, a few off seasons and you're more than a handful uh, of years into, you know, bodybuilding and training, you know, even if your body fat level is high and you start your first or second or third cycle, you should still respond relatively well to that cycle anyway. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like you're going to get shitty results. It's just that ideally, again, going back to him using that word, the lower the body fat, the better. I mean, that's just that's just something that has become more and more obvious and people are starting to accept, thankfully, 
over the last, you know, five to eight years where it used to be that, you know, put on as much weight as you can eat to get as big as a house and then worry about body fat later. And I never liked that approach as to H touched on it, not only for just progress and, and results, but even for the health component. I don't think it needs to happen. Uh, I know that there are plenty of people who will argue differently and that's fine. Um, listen to their podcast, see what they have to say. My, my opinion is that uh, the health does matter, but even if you take health, the health out of it and focus only on the progress part, you're going to or should have better results if you start out where you're in, more insulin sensitive and grow from there. Cycle or not, again, even if you're natural and you're not going to do a cycle, uh, the more insulin sensitive you are, and typically that comes with being leaner, then the, the better opportunity you have for growth and progress doesn't mean that because you're lean, you're going to automatically have great growth and progress. Everything has to be in, you know, optimally put together and executed and executed consistently, yeah. but you are setting yourself up to be more successful. If you come in leaner, start yeah. the phase leaner. All right. Um, how about, uh, Joshua Hausman says, uh, how, how do you know if your digestive system is screwed up and how do you go about fixing it? I guess you know if your digestive system screwed up because your digestion system is screwed up. You've got problems. How do we go about fixing digestive issues? That's a that's a complex question because there's a lot of digestive issues. Yeah. So what what, what, know, what would mean, be some of the first things? Well, I mean, if you, if there if were you an have, issue? so let's say you have bowel movement issues, bloating, gas. I mean, I'm assuming that he's not digesting food well. I mean, the first thing I look at is what's your diet like? I mean, what are you eating? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it could be something you could be allergic to something you're eating. Sure. You know, you could be, uh, you know, lactose could be an issue. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, that's a pretty broad question. I think you'd have to figure out the main thing is figure out what's, what's the problem. You know, what's the, what's the cause and effect. So what's causing this issue? Is it what you're currently eating? Is it, you know, do you have a, you know, like I said, are you, are you allergic? Are you having food allergies? Or is there something going on? Cause if yeah. you just start, you can randomly guess and start changing things, but it's kind of tough just to throw a general blanket at it. You know, I missed the question because I was trying to fix you're having the digestive like, issues. How do you fix it? Gotcha. And I hear the end of what you're saying as far as variables. And I think that's a, a huge thing. My clients, if they're any of them are listening, they don't typically listen to me because they don't like me very much outside of working with me. But anyway, um, when variables change, the, the, the less the variables change, you're going to understand or have a better idea of why something was why something worked or why something didn't much like you're saying by throwing a blanket at if you change five things at once and it works and you don't know why it worked if you throw five things at it, it doesn't work then same thing you, you don't know exactly why it didn't work so when it comes to digestive issues i mean that's such a such a broad i mean there can be so you know so I'll many examples so i have a guy that comes back and works with me about once every year or so year and a half he's been for years and he has all kinds of diet. He did have all kinds of digestive issues. And like Skip said, at first I kind of tried to change a few things and it was like, okay, well it worked better, but not as good. And then, so then we just over this guy has been with me for years and we just kind of, I just kind of switched things one at a time because yeah. I had to figure out what was causing the problems. Right. And then I, it was a certain type of diet he needed. Um, you know, uh, he needed actually lower protein, 
uh, more carbohydrates and lower fat. And then his digestive issues, you know, he didn't have them anymore. But that was, you know, that was something I couldn't have changed like two of those things you know, and right. not the other. And then we'd bounce back and forth and we tried all the, you know, the green foods and all that stuff and it didn't work. And, mm-hmm. and finally it was just, uh, he didn't do well with high fat, high protein diets. Okay. You know? And it's funny that you touch on the macros because, you know, a lot of people, and, and even myself, I tend to think, oh, it's probably a food. And sometimes people can think um, they can miss something so simple as well. Maybe it's oats or something because they say or they think, well, I've been eating oats for a long time and all of a sudden it's a problem. Just because you eat something for a long time doesn't mean that it can't develop into some sort of an issue. So typically, if you eliminate one food at a time, you can get a better idea. But it's funny that you say that about the macros because that's very true. Sometimes it is your actual macro ratios. If your protein is too high, if your fat is too, some people just don't tolerate higher fat, lower carbs, while some other people don't tolerate very well the higher carbs, especially when it comes to fiber. Uh, I think fiber is finally getting the attention it deserves in the last few years in the sense that I don't think the large majority of people should be throwing down massive amounts of fibrous carbs or fibrous vegetables and things of that, because I think that a lot of people don't tolerate and don't digest those vegetables very well at all. So if you have distension and you have, exactly, you have distension and you have bloat, you know, a lot of people will do things like the broccolis and the things that take up a lot of space because they feel like it helps to satiate. I would argue that it doesn't. It just takes up space in the stomach. Uh, And then you have potential fiber issues where you're gassy, you're distended, uh, you just generally don't feel as well. And then you eliminate or you cut that those vegetables in, you know, make a really big cut, cut them in half, Mm -hmm. cut them down to only 30% of what they were. Then all of a sudden they feel great. But when you make a recommendation like that and people are kind of like, what do you mean? Cut my vegetables. I'm trying to stay healthy, things like that. (laughs) Sometimes the massive amount of things that we eat, it just doesn't. They don't digest well. Remember, we're eating a lot of food. We're eating a lot of protein. We're eating a lot of other foods too. And sometimes that can you just pile on. So it's a process of elimination. That's where I would go first. I would start eliminating one food at a time or not eliminating it, but changing it. You know, if it's if you think it might be a carb issue from fiber, change out, you know, oats. If you're eating oats to another carb source, like, you know, potatoes or sweet potatoes. I don't know. I just threw, threw out some examples, but and then yeah, just go from there one at a time. It's not hard when first someone starts a new food. Like, let's say they never eat oats and they start eating oats and they're all bloated and yeah, they right. got problems. But it's another right. thing when someone has these problems consistently, no matter what they eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I figured it out because I was changing like the carb sources up first. That didn't work. Changed up some of the protein, fat sources. It's all came with the same result. And that's when I decided, hey, this guy doesn't do well with one of these is too much of one of them. And so yeah. I just bounced mm-hmm. them up and down and we figured it out. All yeah, right. Yeah. Do you guys do anything with injectable L-carnitine? Uh, any benefit to using injectable L-carnitine? If so, dosage and uh, when would y'all recommend taking it? Never. I've used it um, a handful burns, of times. Burns, burns. See, I never had a burning issue with it. Um, what I found was I don't like terribly frequent injections like that, even yeah. though they're it's very thin and it's kind of a water base or kind of a watery type of solution. It's not difficult to inject, but it's just, it's like one more injection. Are you fucking kidding me? Every so day. I tried it a few times. Exactly. I tried it a few and voluminous. I mean, it's not a terribly small amount either. Uh, it has to be, I am. So or the comment, 
Well, it's too voluminous to go sub Q though. I mean, you're typically talking a couple, a couple mil. Yeah. yeah, I mean, okay. Anyway, yeah, it's well, just, I, probably I not know. high enough at one, but nonetheless, if it, you know, it was in combination with insulin. And my argument after I used it a few times was, I'd rather just take the insulin, especially when it's pre cardio. So then coming back to variables, this is a very good example of that. So if you're using carnitine with a couple units of insulin and you, let's say you get results, is it the carnitine? Is it the insulin? Yeah. Or is it a combination of the two? And I know I got just as good a results because I've always been a proponent of small insulin dosing prior to cardio, provided you're not so depleted and have blood sugar levels that are going to plummet while you're doing cardio. And let me just say, without getting into it too much, a couple IU of insulin or a couple units of insulin should not make you go. If you go hypo doing cardio, even if you take the couple units fasted, it's not, you better, don't blame the, <laughs> don't blame the insulin. You need to look at your diet closer to see why you're going uh, hypo. Now, adding it on top of the potential that you're going to go hypo is even what, but so please, anybody listening to this, don't do it. Well, Skip said, I need to take insulin, you know, prior to cardio oh, and it's going to be so much better. There is, um, there's a myriad of reasons and ways to do it correctly. It's not, there's a whole system to it. So don't think you can do it on yourself if you don't know or do it by yourself. If you don't know what the fuck you're doing, because you can mess yourself up. Point is, is I didn't think and I still don't think that the carnitine even injected is worth all the injections, the voluminous. And I don't think that the payoff is there. I've heard a couple other people say that it is, but it's a very, very small amount of people. And I just don't I don't buy it. I don't personally I don't buy it. So I don't promote it. And there was a point where when I say sub Q, there was a point where people were promoting that you could do spot fat reduction with its sub Q. This is probably oh. 15 years ago. So that's where I tried it and it was not fun. Yeah. I, I don't remember. It was probably two CCs. Maybe Oof, one. God, it was damn. a lot, but it burnt. God, it, it, yeah, that was not. And the guy was that was swearing by it. It's like, oh, dude, you just got to keep doing it. And man, finally, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was miserable. Follow-up question, is the oral worth taking or does it no. metabolize into a carcinogen from what i understand the oral part of the medicine cabinet got thrown out from what i understand the the oral works but it takes a long time to build up that's what uh this was 2018 arnold classic scott stevenson if you're watching and uh john meadows did a seminar and they talked about how the oral would work but you literally had to take it for months and months and months in order to get it to, to build up, to be of any benefit. So, right. Yeah. So basically no, unless you keep yeah. taking it, you know, exactly. I mean, and, and in relatively high doses, it's not, I don't think that the cost of benefit is there. You'd have to put in so much time and take so much of it that it, if you, it, let's put it this way. If you believe that it works well for you, then just go with the injection because you're by your, your, the re- not the reward, but the benefit is there versus having to take a ton of it orally when you can just inject it. And I say that even injecting it, the large amount of people, the majority of people just aren't going to get much of a benefit from it. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden go, oh, man, this is making a pretty obvious change. Scott yeah, says if you a couple want months. It, Scott says it'll, yeah. it'll build up okay. in a couple months. All right. The good thing Ask about him. it is if you, want, if, you, if you want to use it, everybody you know that works out should have like five extra bottles in their medicine cabinet they don't use. Yeah. So you can just go borrow all theirs and take it. 
There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, we had a bunch of our stuff. I'm going to look over at see what I had going on. The uh, I posted up a thing. Oh, yep, here we go. We got a bunch of them over at Instagram. I normally don't do Instagram, but I was uh, I was like last minute trying to scramble and and get our show together. So I got some over here. Um, okay, little drug stuff. This is the reason that we can't monetize the program now, as of now. Now, <laughs> would love to know uh, a primo versus master on comparison, pros and cons of each prep versus off season. I got to grab something to drink, so I'm gonna let you guys start taking this one away. I'll be right back. All right, run with it, Scotty. I'll I'll piggyback I mean, off. Yeah. Oh, my legs. So they're they're not the same drug to begin no. with. No, I mean, I would you take master on by itself? No. There you go. I wouldn't but, even take Primo by itself, but if I had to pick between the two, I would take Primo by itself. And Primo's more anabolic. So, right, exactly. I mean, let's say you were a female, you'd want to take Primo over Mastron. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I mean, I used to like Primo. I thought it was pretty good stuff. And then, I mean, here's another problem, dude. I, I think you're pretty hard for us to get real Primo if you're not getting it from somewhere real. And I don't, I don't think uh, either one of them is going to I think Primo's, I would take Primo over Masteron basically because it just seems, in my opinion, to have worked better, but I don't think you're setting the world on fire with each one, either one. Right, exactly. Uh, they're, they're a small part of the equation. But definitely, if you're a female, you take Primo over Masteron, of course. Um, but yeah. I see Masteron. There with them. See if you agree with me or not. I see Masteron more as a, um, like an addition to, your testosterone dosage, basically, to make your testosterone dosage more efficient, um, you know, better, that sort of thing. I, I don't, Primo I've used uh, even within the last couple of years. And I, when I say I used it, I revisited using it because I hadn't used it in well over 10 years. And I didn't really like it then, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a run. I'll come back to it. I'll see how it goes. And I went six or 700 milligram with it. And honestly, I and, and I did it the right way in the sense that, again, coming back to variables, I was already running a cycle and I had felt like I had been on that cycle for a little while. So I added the um, primo to the cycle to see if I would notice any different, didn't change anything else and literally noticed nothing to the point where after eight weeks, I'm like, I, there's no sense doing this at 100 mg per mil. This is pretty voluminous. I, I'm not getting anything out of it. Pulled it out and didn't notice a difference either. Um, and I do feel depends you know, taking it with too. I mean, just saying in two individual drugs, I mean, what are you, what, what are you taking it with? What are you stacking it with? What amounts are you taking? Um, I really don't see an off season use for a male for either one, really. Um, yeah, and I wasn't off season when I did it, but I will say I still expected to, to feel something with an increase because I wasn't running a ton of stuff at that time anyway. I mean, I agree with you that there are other, you know, the, the other compounds factor in, but I know this one, once I pulled it out and I replaced it with NPP, Within two, two and a half weeks, noticed a difference. So that's what made me go, okay, had I not noticed a difference changing it to another compound, then I may not have thought, okay, maybe I'm just maxed out on my, you know, my milligrams right now and anything additional isn't going to help. But I noticed the NPP kick, but did not notice anything from the premium. Could be argued, like you said. 
Could be, but at the same time, you you make a good point too that you do have to make sure that you're actually getting legit. You got to make sure you're getting legit anything these days, I mean, whether it's Anavar or Winstrol or, or Primo or whatever the deal is. But I feel pretty confident. I think most people do. But I've had my uh, I, I I don't want to give away too much information, but I'll just say that I trust that the things that I get are are legit. That that I don't worry about, and I'm in a position where I don't have to worry about that very often. Could it happen? It could it could of course happen, but it's not anywhere near as likely as if I were just randomly picking a source off of the internet and going that route. Here's a fun one. Would you rather eat Jenny Craig's meals? Oh, Do you like that pause? Well played. Yes, well played. To diet for a show or do all of your cardio as Ty Bo with Billy Blanks? Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig. I'm going Jenny, Jenny Craig. Craig. I don't know Billy Blanks. Is he a trip I take? Oh, goddamn. For real? Billy oh, Blanks, he's a loud black dude who does the, the, the. What is it? Yeah, it's like Ty Bo, right? Yeah, yeah. Or I, he just yeah. said Ty Bo. It's like that boxing shit, cardio. Yeah, the infomercial. You go yeah. with the Jenny Craig meals. You could always like, with Jenny Craig. pull the carbs out or whatever if you needed to get leaner or something. Hey, Dan yeah. worked oh, for yeah. Dan Marino. <laughs> you ever deal with anybody who's had uh, small intestine bacterial overgrowth? No, I don't think so. I've dealt with a lot of shit, so I may have, but I don't recall. No, yeah, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I don't think so. Yeah. All right. How about some? Now, was there a question in there, or is it just asking if we have? Yeah, basically. Okay. All right. Um, tennis elbow rehab. Oh, uh, that uh, uh, active release stuff works. Yeah, and movements to avoid too. That's the other part. Yeah. Well, that one's easy. Any any exercise that irritates it. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but anything that exercise. It's an itis. It's an itis. Tendonitis. I call it itis. Itis issues. Old man itis issues because uh, the older trainers tend to deal with it more because we do more work than the younger guys typically. So we ask for the inflammation. Um, BPC. You down with BPC? Holy hey, shit. Skip yeah. just recommended BPC. I'm looking for the Shit's segment. changed. One of my okay, we'll go to that. Let's go to that next. Right. I got some stuff. I, so I dealt with tennis elbow a few times. Um, I, you know when I got it? When I did a manual labor job. Because I was like t- using my hands all the time at work. Uh, all you were day playing long. tennis. Yes, and then I was playing tennis, and then I was training. So, yeah, I'm pulling the pulling the pulling the uh, the crates. Everything, dude. Anytime you're doing, anytime you're using your hands and everything. So here's the deal with tennis elbow specifically. So the hand is a very fascinating instrument. Okay, everything because you could do all sorts. It's strong, powerful, but you know. It, it also Are you reading off do, a teleprompter? I yeah, know. It also can do very... The hand is a fascinating her. Huh? The hand can be used like a knife. <laughs> we got Morgan Freeman. He changed his Morgan Freeman voice, everything. Yeah. So, you can uh, right. you can do, you know, a lot of... It's powerful, but you can do like a lot of intricate things with it. And the reason for that is everything that controls the hand is from here to here. And so... You know, if you think about it, like think about the way like a puppet would be made. You'd have like all these little strings, you know what I mean? A machine, you know, and that's exactly what that is. Everything that controls the hand is in the forearm. And so if you overstress your grip, uh, then you end up getting that inflammation. And if it's on the top, that's tendonitis. And um, yeah, definitely ART. Well, top or bottom. 
Bottom would be golfer's elbow. Right, but that's what he asked. Oh, about, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Wait, you get the top. I meant. I meant to say that's tennis elbow. The bottom being golf elbow. Um, but yeah, you're right. Either of them tendonitis. So that ART, you know, or any type of like really deep therapy, you can do it yourself too because it's something you can reach. You know what I mean? So you can really actively work that. It's getting the inflammation down, number one. So ice, repeated ice, like 20 minutes on. Or you can take like, you can take an ice cube and wrap it up in a paper towel so you can hold it and then put that bare ice on the spot and like really dig in and massage it. Um, you know, NSAIDs, that's going to help temporarily. So you do those two things. BPC would be really beneficial. I think you're right on that. But the other thing is, is that you need to strengthen up your grip because this happened because your grip was being overused to begin with. So you need to rest it. The worst move for tennis elbow is arm out, palm down. So like a front dumbbell raise, you know, up like this. That's the worst possible thing that you could do for it. But there's obviously a lot of other shit. I would also use straps for anything you can use straps on. I would, I, I mean, realistically, you got to take time off. You got to get the inflammation down. And the only way you can do that is by taking a little bit of time off. If Scott right. Stevenson's watching, he would say acupuncture too. He said that you can fix it right away with acupuncture. Mm -hmm. So there is that. I had that too. done on mine one time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Those are a few things, um, and I'm supposed to ask the next question, but I was busy thinking about that shit, so, all right, we had a bunch more stuff, though. Um, how about if someone were to play it safe, just test in Primo for a few cycles, can he come out with no long-term health issues? Impossible answer. Yeah, I can't say that. Why is that? So we're not health professionals and I would not, my conscience won't allow me to do that. I, nobody can really say what, what will happen to somebody if they have pre-existing issues, if they're predisposed to issues there, it's just, it's too hard to say. And I don't want to say no, no, I can say this probably relatively mild compared to other things, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're not going to come out with issues. I, I can't, I, I can't say that. Yeah, I think Scott said the same thing. Once you suppress HPTA, there's no guarantee it's coming back. Even though it typically, I'll go on record and say, even though it typically does, even if you beat the shit out of it. There are also, in fairness, people in their early 30s who have never done a testosterone cycle in their life and don't know because they haven't had blood work because they don't do steroids that their testosterone is already in the tank. So here's what happens sometimes too. You're in your early 30s. You've never done blood work before. You do your first cycle and then all of a sudden you come off and your testosterone eight weeks later is in the shitter and you're blaming steroids left and right when you don't even know if your testosterone levels were normal prior to taking the cycle. Skip it. There's a lot of variables. Um, BPC. Uh, let's see. I want to know if BPC would help with chronic inflammation from injections. Speaking of BPC, um, I'm talking about debilitating soreness that oftentimes lasts for a week. Actually, that was sent to me by Ken. I don't know his last name, um, but he wanted us to answer that. And he said, I know that you're not here. I'm just reading. I know that you're not the expert on BPC because you haven't used it before, but both Scots probably could respond to that. By the way, I think your a genius. I'm just gonna. I'm just finishing up the, the tight. In fairness, I think you're a genius. I know you've been doing what you do a long time. You're very good at it. Uh, arguably, uh, I'm not done. Arguably, a savant. Oh, that's 
mean, I called you Savant the other day. Remember that? Yeah, let's not go overboard, Ken. I mean, I appreciate the, <laughs> the thing there. But so we'll give Ken a shout out. Thanks for watching, Ken. So what do you say? Injection uh, soreness? Yeah, he wants to use BPC for injection. From what I understand, it, yeah. he explained it more to me. So I'll explain it just so you guys understand. It is chronic and debilitating soreness from gear that would make you think that the gear was bad. No, it couldn't but be the, the gear. gear isn't bad because the oh, gear really? has been changed to different, um, oh, really? from different, yeah, not only different compounds or not even different valves, but from different places like source. So it's not a, it's not a the gear itself. It's just that it's almost like the body is already in an, a very inflammatory state for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And when I talk, when I'm saying inflammation, I'm talking about maybe one one and a half mil, and it ends up being debilitatingly sore for like almost six days to the point where the muscle almost can't even be used in the process during that soreness. I don't think BPC would work on that because BPC, you know, BPC is actually natural. It comes out of your, the acid in your gut. Yes, um, it does. It only affects, it only affects, the, the only thing it enhances is the, is the modular repair of your tendons. Uh, Ligaments. So it's not for general so, soreness. No, it, it doesn't. I don't think it has any effect on your on your on your on your muscular on, on muscles, just on tendons and ligaments. Okay, what would that inflammation approach? be caused by? None of us are doctors. Here's here's what I would say. Did it just start? Or has it always been like that? Been like that for three or four months. Probably the carrier oil changed. Different source, different from, but from different sources, completely different sources, just to eliminate the gear. Actually, now it could be that by coincidence, yeah, it it could be. But think I about mean, the volume. The volume isn't very high because some people, I mean, ethyl oleate a lot. There's people that have that same Bad reaction, reaction. Ethyl oleate. Yeah. So that could be that. I mean, is it asking if it's, you know him? Ask him if it's real clear looking. I, I mean, I know him relatively well. Yeah, it's yeah, not great. Mean, it's in grapeseed oil. He's going to know it. So, I mean, what if the well, what if the oil was consistent the whole time, and they've used the same source and the same oil for say three years? Would it all of a sudden? I mean, I know that it could, but would it all of a sudden become an inflammatory issue? What I'm wondering is if there might not be. Not only did I have the question about the BPC, of course, helping it out, but the other question being: Is there potentially? Because I think there could be an inflammatory situation in the body that is not really caused by the gear, but the gear is just I was pointing wondering out that. that there's an issue there. That's what I was thinking. Can, plus your yeah. body can, you know, your body, you can become allergic to things that you're not allergic to, like for the first half of your life. So, I mean, it's not common for people to get that, but usually it's a carrier oil is the issue. They've switched. I mean, since you said they switched brands, I mean, I'd say, if that happened to me, I think the gear might be a little dirty too. But that's probably not. I mean, it could also be the how it's how it's uh, uh, suspended. So are they put in a little little more, you know, what 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 are the ratios of the compounds that that they're putting in the product? You know, is there more? You know, yeah, it's not ridiculously more oh, okay. on the other. I, I got strength in general. I got to back up for just a second because I'm not sure if I caught this the one part completely correct. So is it all the same brand or this is over the course no. of a number of brands? This is, um, I assumed for first time when they told me that it was the same gear, the same brand. 
Then they told me that they had switched to not just one, a different brand from like from somebody else, but switched it twice. And all three times had gotten the same response. That's why I think it's unlikely that it's an oil issue. Yeah. It's unlikely or it's pretty obvious that it's not the the one type of gear where sometimes you might have a bad bio or let's say you're using DHP and you didn't know that it had crashed a little. It was starting to crash a little bit or you're at the bottom of a vial and there was something. But that it's been going on for yeah. so long that it's almost getting I'm, to the point where here's an example. An injection of one mil ends up seeping you know, it's seeper. We've talked about seepers before. Yeah. It won't even stay in the muscle and it comes out. And then the injection site and all around it is inflamed for, you know, another four or five days on top of it. And it's not just dealt. It's like yeah, all sites everywhere. Dude, the I wonder pain. you mentioned, is it him? I wonder, I wonder, cause here's the thing too. Like my allergies will be better sometimes than others. It's not the, necessarily that there's more of a, like I get a dust allergy Sometimes I'll deal with dust all day long. It's not a big deal. Other times I, you know, go to move one thing in the basement and then I'm like all my my eyes, everything are all inflamed. The way I understand it is that it, if you look at inflammation and if you had a bucket in front of you, and Victoria actually is the one who kind of helped me understand this, that you, you, that you have all these different things that kind of, you know, add to that bucket. And so if that bucket's already full, and then I have something else. It just it, it, there's that one thing. It's enough to overflow the bucket. I wonder if his bucket's just overflowing right now. If he needs to reduce inflammation from this, 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 and this. You know, exactly. how is his sleep? You know, how is his stress levels? All that stuff. What else is going on in his life? That- is he borderline overtrained? Right. Exactly. Is, All that. Does he have other nagging like? Um, oh man, you know, the knee is bothering me. There's inflammation there. There's inflammation, odd inflammation in the wrist that can't be explained. Things like that. Yeah. At that point, I'd feel yep. like BPC would be a band aid, you know, because it's sure. like at the end of the day, you just have to get that inflammation down, you know. Maybe yep. it could help in that process though, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't take the BPC in order to keep taking the shots. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. And that's a very good point. I yeah, agree it with that. It sounds like something's going on with him. I mean, obviously, your body can, you know, you're puncturing your body with a needle. So your body, you know, it can, it can, if, if it doesn't want, if it doesn't want to have any exogenous stuck into it, it can reject that, that compound. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know the whole scientific reason, but if he's bounced around at different compounds and he knows it's not a certain, now I would tell him to step back and look and see if they're all made with the same carrier and it's different. If he's doing ethylate or something, you can actually smell it. If it's not written on the label. Oh yeah. It's kind of like, it kind of has kind of a industrial smell to it kind of. And you know, that could be it, but if not, then I think like Scott said, I think it may be something with him. All right. How about, um, let's see. Uh, if you had to add more weight to any gym machine, this is a fun one. What would it be? Oh, the hammer incline press. The yeah. easiest machine to use. Hell yeah. Because I can put four on each side with the little 25 barely hanging on and nail those things out. You're kidding me. Yeah. You're telling me we got to get you those dusty handshaw uh, plate extenders for your <laughs> hammer strength incline? Well, right now I probably couldn't. But, I mean, I would put, this is not too long, a couple of years ago I would put, four 45s on and you could hang like a 25 on there and like take that little collar thing and barely hold it on. Yeah. Knock out 12, 15 reps with it. 
How about you, Skip? If you had to add weight to anything. Well, I uh, I haven't maxed out a machine yet, quite frankly, so I don't think I have to worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not training with Dusty Henshaw Poundages over here. Uh, I, like I can't. I, honestly, I can't think of. Um, I'm trying to think. There's got to be something that I could max out, but I can't think of one. I'm not leg maxing. Leg sled. Nah, angle leg press. With no, no. With no, with no top pole, just two side poles. No, nah, I'm not. I'm not maxing out angle leg presses either. <laughs> so I'm not much help on this one. I was at this gym up in the, the UP, as we call it, the Upper Peninsula yep. here in Michigan. Uh, this dude, Joe's Gym. I met Joe. He's the owner of the gym. <laughs> really? Yeah. He's a re- retired um, corrections officer, lives up there in the UP. Really cool dude. Like, I talked to him for 40 minutes. He he had fabricated all sorts of stuff in his gym. Little tiny place, wood paneling, you know, all these fabricated machines. Um, he had a chest press, that was selectorized chest press, that went to 400 pounds. Them old school ones, dude. Sometimes I pull. You ever do an old school preacher curl and you got, like, three plates on there and there's, like, <laughs> 20 more plates you're like who in, who in the fucking world <laughs> who in the hell is using that yeah. thing yeah who is you this yeah, we used to have one, my fucking bicep dude, off we used to have one i could put like a 25 on each side and it was it was like tough i wasn't a weak <laughs> yeah. guy i'm like who the fuck yeah. loads this thing all the way and you come yeah. by and see 245s on i'm like i want to find this guy <laughs> Yeah. This I think weight plates for selectorized equipment like 30 or 40 years ago, they must have been dirt cheap because they just put a ton of them on there and figured, fuck it. We, yeah. They're not that expensive. We're just going to put them on there. <laughs> All right. What else do we have here? Um, oh, okay. So he's not doing a show, but he's heading to the beach. Advice on drying out one week out from hitting the beach trying to look my best out there beach including alcohol yeah that's a good question because you might mess it up in one hour you gotta be really careful trying to i can't tell any people (laughs) i know that have made that mistake of drying out to go to the beach yeah and then gone even not party but if you go out and party on top of it you are gonna pay the piper baby yeah because you know salt water dries you out you're in the sun and you're not used to being i went to mexico one time got just best ripping shape ever and decided to take a couple of diazides before I went. Yeah, dude, I paid the price hard the first couple of days. It was not pretty. Yeah, yeah and drying out a week before, you're mm. that there's, I mean, if you were to dry out, you would dry out, you know, a day or two before, and then you're going to look your best for a day or two. And then as soon as you start taking in water after being that dry, you're going to blow up like a puffer fish. You're better off, really. Just and I not just to the guy asking the question here, but to anybody who goes this route, you're better off just going lean, taking in moderate amounts of water while you're out in the sun and everything else, and then just eating moderately. But then at night, cause, and, and I'm kind of giving away what I do when I used to go on cruises with the kids <laughs> because I didn't want my you know my distended gut out in the sun, I would eat much lower volume for like breakfast and lunch. I make sure I get enough water and then I'd have a bigger meal at night because then if I was distended, I was going to bed yeah. and nobody would see me cause I wasn't walking around with my shirt up. And then the next day I get up and I would have cleared all that, you know, food and I wouldn't go crazy at night, but I'd have, you know, a meal and, you know, a pretty good sized meal, maybe a dessert and get up and do the same thing the next day. And at least that way I stayed in, 
you know, relatively good condition the whole time that I was there. I think you're better off doing that because you're going to rebound at some point and then you're going to look worse and then you're going to feel like you look even worse because you're not training and because it's not your typical diet and that sort of thing. So drying out a week before, don't do that. Even if you are going to dry out, do it a day or two before, but it's still dangerous. Like F2H said, you're in the sun, you're going somewhere that you're not used to being in the sun. You're going to, if you get burned at all, that's going to help to dehydrate you. Salt water. Yeah. I mean, because I can tell you, dude, I'm gonna tell the guy. Is he? Is this a question that's called in or? Yeah, it's on Instagram. So I rolled down to Cancun one time. I was ripped, dude. I was in great shape. Single guy, bad. Stands at resort. I got it going on. Took a couple diazides before I went. Abs are out. Hold on, yards. I roll up in this hot tub one night with all these girls. Very badass, right? Well, in about 15 minutes, I thought I was gonna pass out. (laughs) I could hardly get out of the hot tub because I was cramping so bad in my legs and my calves. So I look like a dead jellyfish flopping outside of there. Yeah. yeah, it didn't work out too good. So I'd say just go as you are. Yeah, yeah. I think you know there's a difference between looking good for summer and getting on stage. Like, and I'd even say I handle the whole thing different. Like, here's a, here's something I've gotten into is that I, I would have a thought that somebody who's like just looking to get in good shape and they want to run a cycle for the summer, they're going to do like a cutter. I like master on anything because it's something that you don't have to take a lot of, you know, like low volume basically. And it's something you could run that for eight, 10 weeks versus the guys who are like, and then I'm going to take the Winstrel tablets. And, you know, it's like things that the way that I get ready, when you're thinking about getting ready to look your best for a show, you're planning on looking your best for one day, you know, like one hour of one day versus like you guys are saying, if you can just kind of like look good in general. I mean, the reality is if you're on gear, you're probably putting a lot of attention into your physique. You're probably going to look better than most people on the beach. Any, at least hopefully you're going to look better on most yeah. people than on the beach anyway. Right. Well, well and if you're out in the sun and you're sun losing and water. water, sun and salt water going to dry you out. You yeah. may not look. The, you may take a day or two out there, but get, get in the ocean enough and get out in the sun, and you will yeah. dry out like you never thought you could. Yeah, you'll have veins everywhere if you're lean enough. The like you said, the sun, the salt water. You're not going to take in an, more water than you're going to sweat out anyway. At least while you're at the beach, so you're going to stay. You're going to look pretty damn good. And I think you touched on a good point too, Scott, when you said that you're going to look better than most people. Even if you lose five more pounds of body fat, no one's going to notice a difference (laughs) if you were carrying five more pounds of body fat versus not. You're either in relatively good shape or you're not because the average person is just going to know, oh, wow, he's in good shape. And, And here's what's even more important. And I know this is a shot to most people's ego. When you see somebody look at you at the beach and that you might even think, oh, yeah, and maybe they're impressed with how you look. I promise you, and I know this hurts the ego, but two minutes later, they don't fucking remember you. They don't care. They don't give a shit. They were impressed for like a minute. Yeah. And then they're doing something else. They don't give a fuck. It doesn't make up their day. Unless you're like Ronnie Coleman, then they'll remember you for a while. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're going down there to get laid, that's a little bit different. But I still wouldn't go with diazide. <laughs> and there are a couple <laughs> jokes. There's a couple jokes here, but I'll leave them I, out. I got some pictures of that trip because we walked down to like past the resort to the locals' beach. Yeah, and we were all out there. It was me and another dude. He's a pretty big dude. And they were all all the locals were running out, want to take pictures with us. You know, f- posing like double biceps, like calling us Arnold and. But we weren't big as those guys, but you know, I mean, it was just, it was kind of funny. And we did look the best there. And let me tell you something, you walk down the locals beach, 
in Cancun, you will be the best looking dude there. All right. <laughs> we actually had two questions that were the same. I have one here on Instagram, ideal weight per week to gain while bulking. And then Ron here, who's watching on the live feed says, uh, what's a good weekly, monthly amount of weight during a bulk for a 200 pound male? 20% total. So 220, if you're 200, you get to 220. Every week? No, not every week, not total, no. like off season. So say two pounds a week, pound and a half, two pounds. Two pounds. Yeah, I would have I would have put it at one or two myself, but again, it depends on body fat percentage and stuff like that because, you know, here, here's another caveat. You could gain a pound a week, mm-hmm. and if you're not insulin sensitive and you're not growing well and your diet isn't there, you could literally gain 18 pounds of fat and a couple pounds of muscle. So, you know, there's just, there's a lot of factors there. One of these guys, the guy who was on Instagram, he's a client of mine and uh, he had been, he came to me, wanted to diet down and we, he got decently lean and we decided we're like, why don't we turn this around, man? Why don't we, you're very lean now, you know, like you could, obviously you could be leaner, but you're not getting on stage. What if we were to, you know, turn this into a growth phase, maybe added a little bit of supplementation now that he hadn't had been using before. And uh, the thing is, though, is that he had to be like on a keto diet to, to make this to get leaner. Like he his his like he's not very carb receptive, you know, so we're turning it around and we're bringing carbs in now. But he's an example of like. His response of how he's going to grow is going to be very different than like if, right. if you, you're going to have skip. You know what I mean? Like right. you handle carbs really well. You turn around, you'd probably be up, you know, eight pounds from dieting in the first week, just in volumized. You know what I mean? Right, right. Filling out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I always like to use that like 10% rule. So, you know, if you're 190, what's 10% of 190? 19 pounds. Yeah. So you don't really want, I don't want you to exceed 209. When, at that point, it starts to get counterproductive in most, the vast majority of people. Here's a good one. Should lagging body parts be trained with a higher frequency? It's actually a really good question. It is. My first move is to actually decrease, depending on the muscle yeah. group. But let's just say, for the sake of, because arms are always, oh, I want my arms to grow. And yeah. what happens when you want your arms to grow? You end up training them more frequently. And what you're really doing is they weren't growing, typically, not all the time, but typically they weren't growing to begin with because they were overtrained. So then you're training them more and they're becoming even more overtrained. Arms are, they get a lot of indirect movement or work from the other movements like chest pressing and, and back pulling. So a lot of times when you cut the frequency, you end up without even meaning to growing mm. and progressing because of the increased recovery. I always go that route first. Now, if it's legs or something, then you have to take a look at the, the intensity, the volume, whether they're recovering, things like that. Major muscle groups, sometimes you can kick it up a little bit. But the large majority, especially when it comes to things like chest, chest versus legs. Legs, a lot of times, because they're hard to fucking train, balls mm. out. A lot of times legs can handle more like they might not be training them hard enough, but chest, buys, tries, those things most people will pound. They'll go to failure and they end up doing too much work. I always tell my clients, I tell my friends, I tell people in the gym, if you're not training, if you're training chest to failure, your ass better be training legs to failure. Because if not, then you have an imbalance in effort in an imbalance in intensity. So a lot of times that kind of wakes them up and goes, oh, shit, I'm not training legs hard enough. And typically that's the case. So it depends on the muscle group. It depends on, 
you know, whether you, I would start, I'll leave it at this. I would start with cutting back first to increase recovery, because if you can train more frequently, then you need to have better recovery. So you should already be growing anyway, just not growing enough hmm. to be able to increase frequency. So yeah. what you got, Scott? Well, I mean, I'd say first you have to look at how are they training it before. So, yeah. I mean, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing like 150 working sets for biceps and you think you should increase the frequency, well, the frequency is already the problem, like Skip yeah. said. But if you're not doing anything for them, like two sets or something, well, yeah, I mean, higher frequency would be relevant to what you're doing. But in general, most people overtrain, especially small muscle parts. But I, I disagree with Skip. I think you should train chest back and buys and not train your legs. And that's just <laughs> right. I've got two things. Uh, first thing, Skip, I took your advice. You probably don't remember giving me advice, but I took I your advice. We um, we talked about uh, this. We talked about legging arms a little while ago. Um, so it wasn't the wrong advices. I just want to make sure that's yet to be discovered. We'll find okay, out because right, I'm still I'm still doing advices. it. But so I've been doing push pull legs, and with that, my arms have not been getting as much attention. Like every time I train, it's like back gets hammered really hard. My biceps are a mild afterthought. Chest gets hammered really hard. Shoulders, they're kind of little attention, and then arms, triceps are mild afterthought. So I wanted, to, and I asked you guys, I was like, well, I'm already doing very low volume. And you were like, it's easy. You just need to put priority on your arms. So I actually, I've been for the last several weeks now, I've changed my routine to push, pull, arms, legs as mm -hmm. my split. And I, I think, I mean, it's hard to tell. Obviously, I have more inflammation in, in the guns now, but I think the that's guns. working. In the guns. How big are the guns? Have you measured them? No, I, I'm afraid to. Oh, I'd be disappointed. I'd be sad. You know what I mean? Are they, are they re or do you register them? Register your guns? <laughs> <laughs> Other thing I was going to say is I wonder how he's training this legging body part. Because I'll tell you what, I feel like what I have discovered is that, you know, people are like, well, my legs genetically are weak or, you know, uh, my back is genetically weak. My chest is genetically weak. And then you discover like, oh, but you have really good shoulders. And you're pressing with them every time you bench press. It's right. like another factor would be before you start changing the volume, if it what you're doing isn't working, then maybe look at what you're doing, the, meaning the technique. Mm -hmm. You know, we all think that like, you know, you, you may be killing it every time you train chest. But if you're not training, if you're hitting your shoulders, you know you're not hitting the chest, then, then you got a, you know, you got a problem. I wouldn't do more of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, well, if something isn't great, you make a very good point. If something isn't growing, I always laugh when people say, well, you know, no matter what I do, you haven't done everything yet. Don't kid yourself. Yeah. It's very, very rare for someone to have done everything exhausted because they don't have the, the knowledge and the knowledge base to be able to cover all the options that they think. What they really mean is my legs aren't growing as easily as everything else. Yeah, so exactly. It's it's important to note the difference <laughs> yeah. when it comes to you know, especially with legs and things. But a lot of times, you know, I'd be surprised if someone had lagging legs and they've really focused on them, focused on the training, focused on optimizing everything for a year and couldn't make dramatic changes with that body part. I I just I would find that very very difficult to believe. even with. I don't want to say with shitty genetics, but even with mediocre genetics, I would find that difficult to believe. 
Yeah. All right. Mechanics is huge. Mechanics are huge. Like you said, doing everything the, the right way. And it's very difficult for us because we're not able to demonstrate. I mean, I could talk about, and I, this is part of the thing that I like with one-on-one clients. I can pass on so much information to them because I'm there to demonstrate and show them. But on a show, on a podcast like this, you can't, you can't demonstrate those things and discuss those things. It's very difficult even with online clients without video to show them to, de- to describe how to do something correctly. Because not only do you need to describe it, they need to understand it and do it, but you need to be able to look at it and watch them do it and say, no, here, twist this or pull their arm or change their their angle or their grip and, and adjust things. And then it's like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, now I totally notice the difference. Things like that. Yeah. All right. Any changes to skip loading on a deload week since your lower volume will use less glycogen stores? Yep. Yeah. If you're going, yeah, typically if you're going into a deload week, you're not going to need to load as much because your the demands for that stored glycogen the following week while you're cruising is not going to be very high. Now, coming off of the deload week, you can see how they responded. And sometimes something as simple as um, hunger and inflammation is down, their weight will be down. So they're thinking, oh, well, shit, you know, I'm going to get a good skip load. Typically, you're not going to need it coming off a deload week either. But if you're coming back into a blast phase and you want to make sure that you don't come into that blast phase weak and not fully loaded or glycogen stores full, then you would take it back up. But typically, so that one's kind of to be determined on an individual basis. But I would say the large majority of the time, nine out of 10 times, coming off of that last um, blast week, going into a cruise week, you typically will need to cut it back because you're just going to end up with glycogen that you're not going to use. Got more Primo stuff. This is like the third question we've had about Primo today. Uh, Any helpful info on Primo? Dose, how long to take it, what to take in conjunction. That's a pretty basic one. Mm-hmm. Test. Primo? I'm going to guess yes. Yeah. I never see the oral around anymore. Yeah, I never I never do either. What's the first one? I'd say this, Scott, because we've talked about it a couple times today. Number one is make sure you have a real. Was the whole question? Helpful info yeah. on Primo. Yeah. Dose and how long to take it. Take, what take two to one primo to test but i, I don't think nope. i mean that's what you could do but i mean it I don't, go ahead skip well no i mean i'm just that's that's a pretty big ratio i can't say that it's wrong i just i was surprised that you'd go two to one you mean two to one primo with half the tests or do you mean yeah, yeah. Okay. okay um it's weak i mean look i i always describe it as weak and and i know this isn't exactly correct but to try to explain it to clients and explain it to people, I just call it a watered down version of DECA. <laughs> and I know that that's not the exact way or the best way to explain it, but it's just a watered down version. It's just a weak to me, a relatively weak. If you take 10 of the main AAS out there available for say a male in the, in the off season or even pre-contest for that matter, honestly, I'd put Primo at about nine. I mean, it, it, as far as ninth on the list, maybe even 10th on the list, it's, it's just not very strong. Um, there are other compounds that are better and you'll get more. Yeah, you'll get more out of it. Now, Primo, I think, comes into the picture if you have things like, well, I respond poorly to this and I have prolactin issues, so I try to stay away from Deccan MPP. And I have this. And yes, I have high estrogen, so I try not to run as much tests. And 
<clears throat> trend makes me not sleep. And I mean, if you start eliminating the better compounds, mm -hmm. then Primo will look better and better. Then it's more of an option. But if you don't have issues with those better compounds, honestly, run the better compounds. And then you don't have as much volume to have to inject either because Primo is going to be typically 100 meg per mil where you're going to get, you know, 200, 150, 200, 250, 300 meg. Sometimes EQ, I mean, EQ is roughly typically three to 400 meg all the time now. So, you know, less volume is always good, too. We were just talking about inflammation earlier with, you know, voluminous shots and, and things like that. Try to get out of it with less volume if you can. If you can take something that's a little bit stronger uh, and it's going to be better, then get away from Primo. Primo is kind of like, I don't want to say a last resort, but if you have to eliminate other compounds, then Primo becomes a little, a little bit more appealing if you're a male. It doesn't aromatize much. and It's kind of, like a, weak, it's kind of like a weak testosterone propionate. Fair enough. You know, it's like the little cousin. Yeah. I, I don't really yeah. see much. I mean, like I said, really no problem. Cousin. If you don't have problems with, you know, testosterone, aromatizing, or, you know, you deal with it okay, I mean, you might as well take tests and just not even take Primo. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Jenny Craig question. That was fun. You did. <laughs> uh, I didn't answer the add weight to the, any machine. I think I'm with you, Skip. I, I can't think that I've like maxed a machine out. Yeah, I'm you know, now I can max them out when it's on the strive three point thing and I put them on the low because I tend to like the low point weight load of a strive machine. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like the low end because it's eat like the leg extension. It's easier on my knees. I get a better contraction. I like the low end on the preacher curl because I get a better contraction at the top. So yeah, you got to put more weight on it. But I, so, I mean, I guess I could argue that I'm maxing out the low position. No one's going to be impressed by that on the yeah. leg extension because that's the low position. Same with the leg, their leg curl, too. I like the contracted position. And I like to not put that heavy stress on the stretch position because of the vulnerability in that position. But that's just me. So there really isn't anything I'm maxing out either. I, I'm with you. I'd love to say that I was, but the truth really is, is I'm not. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's about all we got here. Scott, we had so much stuff. Last episode, people loved the gun content. Blood, sweat, and guns. They were like, they all started asking gun questions. In fact, if you guys have any gun questions, you, if you ask them literally right now, you've got the opportunity. BSG Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got ammo. Yeah, I, I hear there was some, I didn't watch it. Somebody sent me a video, and they were like, hey, I hear all the gun laws are going to change. Have you heard anything about that? I don't watch the news. Okay, I don't watch the news it's, either. I try to. You're just getting so. you're just getting propaganda of one one side yeah. or the other. Yeah. yeah. Wait yeah. Till, it's all speculation yeah, at this point. It's all, it's all just it's part of dividing the team, you know. Yep. All right. Best home defense firearm. What have you got that works? Well, if you're <laughs> gonna if you're gonna go out and buy something for home defense, what should you buy? Uh, I mean, this is gonna. Okay, I'll now go to the next thing. A, whatever you can operate, you know, efficiently and well. So yeah. if that's a if you're really good with your pump shotgun from when you were a kid, I say rocket. Because if you if you think I gotta have a handgun because people say I gotta have one, but you got crappy fundamentals and you can't hit shit, it's not gonna do any good. So whatever you have that you're competent with, that you can perform with and execute with, that includes loading, malfunction drills, you know, presenting the gun, you know, aiming, hitting your target. I think it's I think it's overrated 
that you have to have a certain kind of, I mean, there could be situations where one's better than the other, but just remember, if you're going to get in a gunfight, bring the biggest gun you got, right? <laughs> which is always a plus two. Ooh, we actually got, we got a question. What is your dream gun? Oh, a Dylan M134 minigun. Dude, he answered that so fast. I know, right? Like he was waiting. <laughs> Matter of fact, maybe that's an alias. Ethan yeah. Dowling. Maybe that's just an alias. And he put that question in there himself. That's the coolest thing I've ever shot. <laughs> yeah? Coolest oh, you shot one. Oh, yeah. That's the, that yeah. thing I've seen that on YouTube, the minigun. That's like, mm-hmm. there's like a switch to turn it on. And it's like. Yeah, it's electric. Yeah, it's like you would think, Skip, that like you were about to operate some sort of like machine in a in a car manufacturing plant. Like that's the way. So it is it a handgun? I mean, what the hell is it? No, it's a minigun. What so the hell is a minigun? Mean? It's 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 a it's a barrel gun. It's got like uh, the one thirty four has six barrels. It shoots like six thousand rounds a minute. Oh, Holy like shit. right now they currently you, you can use that of a crow system, so you don't have to man the gun. You look through a FLIR camera and you got a remote control. You got it's a camera? Vehicle. Yeah, it's on there on top of the vehicle. They've had them for a while. Wow. They're on top of the vehicle so the turret gunner is not out exposed. Huh. That makes sense, man. Yeah. yeah. So what's it called? That's a Dylan M134 minigun. But G okay. makes a new one now, too, that's coming out. It's supposed to be better. Than that. <laughs> okay, so shouldn't this one, shouldn't Tanya. that gun be the answer for the best self-defense in-home firearm? Well, <laughs> you would, you'd need like six of us to carry it around. Oh, fuck you just have it mounted in your bedroom. Where you're I'll, send, I'll, send you, I'll send you a video or something once so you can get Aim it at the front. Okay, yeah, send me one. Yeah, Aim so it at the, the front the, door. Our, 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 our enemies don't like it because you put tracer rounds in it, like every fourth round, and they call it the breath of Allah because it's all oh, red. Oh, no, yeah. Well, they have them on everything. They have them on you know, Apaches, A-10s. Uh, you're making an assumption that the only enemies that the United States has – that's not fair. I, don't I like, know about that. I like what Tanya Miller me. said. Tanya Miller said, do you have that on your vision board? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I I thought you were going to say like a shotgun. That's what I figured you're going to say. For what? For for best home self-defense. Uh, I mean, there's there's I mean, it's whatever you're whatever you can, you know, whatever you're good with, where you can you can. You know, if you're really good with a handgun, you got good fundamentals and you can shoot, that might be the best thing for you. But I always say people always think, oh, I got to have this, got to have that. But you, you got to have something you can operate and, and you're efficient with and that yeah. you can, you know, load work malfunction drills that you can present the gun. You can you're accurate with it. And that that can be a lot of things. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be I mean, I have personal preferences, but my personal preferences will be based off of what. I, you know, I'm really competent with. Yeah. You know, which you so, probably could handle. Like you could probably do whatever you needed to with anything. Yeah, anything I, mean, I've got, I mean, it doesn't really, I'll take something over nothing. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. take a single shot shotgun over nothing. Yeah. I had one of those when I was a kid. It was a bolt action 410 single shot shotgun. It was my, uh, my dad's. Um, how about, how about pump shotgun? With a pistol grip and a modified choke loaded with buckshot. If it works for you, here's one thing I, I kind of when I talk to people about this is you you it's preferable that you have a firearm that you don't have to like work the action on 
Now, oh. granted, you could have the shot, a pump shotgun loaded. I do advocate if you're going to have a gun for home defense, I mean, there are situations it's a personal decision, but you should have the gun loaded in the yeah. chamber and be ready to go. So you want a gun that can get up and go to work with. Because you get woke up at 2 in the morning and someone's breaking your house, you know, you need to have something that's, that's ready to go. Yeah. And that's why I don't really like safeties on pistols and stuff. But some people, it's a personal choice, you know, and they need to train with the safety on when they're training so they don't have to take it off when they have to use it. But I, I like things that are a little quiet because, you know, if someone – if you set your lighting up in your house correctly and you have a plan, if someone to come in your home, you don't actually go play SEAL Team 6 and dive through the house. You just fall back to the bathroom, hold the bedroom door. Better to ambush than be ambushed. You know, what are they going to take, your TV? You know, who cares? Yeah, you mentioned that on. we actually had gotten off the air a couple episodes ago. I don't have that set up. You were saying, like, put a nightlight – by the, like you know where where it will backlight them basically, and then you're in the shadow still. Yeah, just put a back, like a little like for the babies, little baby light, night lights. Just put yeah. them like outside your bedroom door, um, you know, by your entrance or your your front door, things like that, and your floodlights coming in. That way, everything's backlit coming into you. Hmm. You know, you're in your bedroom. Get up, go in the bathroom, hold by the bathroom door on the bedroom door. It's dark. It's black. No one's gonna see you in there. Yeah. You know, I think it's foolish to run out. People say, oh, someone, now if you have kids, it's a different scenario for a lot of things. But if you live by yourself or it's just you and your significant other in a, in a bedroom sleeping, you're you're not doing yourself, do me a favor, just jumping out in the house, running around. Because you could, you know, you always want all the advantages you can have. What if I come out of my living room, there's three dudes out there that are armed. Yeah. And I'm in a three-on-one situation, not a good situation. I don't care how good you are with a gun to be in. So why not just fall back? Let them come to you. Do you take your wife with you when you fall back, or do you just fall back yourself? She's on her own. Cover. I use her as cover. Depends on the wife. <laughs> Skip, what do you got I, going on? Oh, I was going to change subjects. What, do, ahead, what do you got go going on, Skip, with training? How's that, how's that all that going? I've seen some of your clients and stuff you posted. Yeah, training's going well. I mean, my one-on-one, I still I, I enjoy very well. I just took on a new client uh, about a week ago. I'm going to stay at five. I'm not going over that because that's I like it. I enjoy it, and I don't want to become – I don't want it to get crazy. Uh, online's going great. Uh, my own training is going well. I'm transitioning to TRT. Could be inflammation, could be not inflammation. The point is, is I'm going to transition to TRT for two or three months. And um, volume is lowered. Things are things are going quite well. Legs are coming back. And uh, that's my priority for this year. So I'm really enjoy- – it's funny. When I get a glute pump, I'm doing a lot of lunges now and things like that where hmm. – like I, I, like I took for granted that I was able to train uh, legs for so long, but now after that injury, I'm getting back into putting more focus and time and attention on planning my leg training more so than I did in the past. And, and I like it. I think it's starting to pay off. Uh, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. It's only February. So is your training personally any different now that you've been training clients in the gym? I'll tell you what's hard. I'll be honest with you. There is one negative to it. The negative is, is I'm in the gym all day consumed with exercises, reps, planning, programming. You know, someone who does what we do, that if you don't do it, you might not understand how all-consuming it is. Even though it's a client of yours and it's like not you, you want everything to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So you're programming each client much like you would program, not much like you would program yourself for what you need. Clearly you're programming for what they need, but you're putting in that same effort, if not more, 
And you're doing that for each client. And by the time you're done and you're going to do your own training, it's almost like psychologically you've been through all these work five sessions. Yeah. What helps me now is I don't train in the same place that I train my clients. Okay. I train up here now in West Palm with, um, with my new training partner. And so it's a different venue. With I'll tell you what, it, it got so with so many sessions stuff that I actually had to start logging my own poundages again because I couldn't remember <laughs> what I did last time because there's so many exercises running through my head. But when I change to this new gym that I only train myself at, yeah. then I can remember those things again. It doesn't all run together. That part was a difficult adjustment for me because sometimes I'm actually tired psychologically until I get going in my own session and then everything is great. So my training hasn't changed, but, but there is that added, I spend a lot more time in the gym than I ever have in a very, very long time, years and years and years. So that is, that is different. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like my training's changed. I feel like I, part of my intensity has gotten more intense because especially if I'm training with one of my clients, cause I'll do that too. It's like, you have to set an example then, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's one client right now that I want to train with, uh, and we've been trying to hook it up and I was going to go down to Miami and train legs with him. And then he, it gets too late because I train later at night, uh, but I'm looking forward to it because he's got me in the strength department, but I know I can cripple his ass because he's going to want to, he's got that ego and that competitive drive yeah. too. So he's going to want to keep up. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to bury you, bro. You're going to you're going to be stronger than I am, but I'm going to bury you by the time you leave here. So we haven't had that opportunity to do it yet, but I look forward to it's coming up. It'll be soon. Nice. Get some video of that. Yeah, exactly. Talk about it here. All right. Anything else before we go, guys? Can't think of anything. All right. Mm -hmm. well, in that case, guys, check out uh, truenutrition.com. Use our code advices. Great products. You get some additional savings with user code. Like I said, too, it helps to support our programming. Um, I'm using the Perry MD Mountain Dog Formula for intra-workout with highly brain cyclic dextrin, EAAs. I just picked up some additional EAAs, just like this. I'm still getting the straight raw EAA skip. I didn't I didn't upgrade to the flavored stuff. And then I just Damn. mix in the like crystal light. You know what I mean? Right. It, it'll work. It'll be, but I tell you, you'll like them if you get the flavor. There is one more thing I don't want to forget. I do want to oh. say happy Valentine's day to all my side pieces. If I did not contact you today or send you anything, it's an oversight on my part. I apologize and I'll make up for it in a later date. I surprised Victoria. I sent her some flowers. So did I. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I, it, I just it realized was my, and I took it. It was good. I just realized why my wife's not talking to me today. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I set it up for Saturday. I didn't want her. I didn't want her to think like that. I have to spend half of the day thinking that I didn't like I wanted her so she already got it yesterday you know what I mean be honest S2H though you've been married for a long time like I have is Valentine's Day really I'm not trying to take away because you know your wife may look at it differently mm -hmm. but I always say I'm like my wife is not my Valentine she's she's my wife I've been married for 30 years we'll do something but it's not this big I don't we don't take advantage and I don't like to celebrate Hallmark holidays where this holiday has been you know predetermined to try to commercialize and, and make a ton of money you know, sweetest day, Valentine's Day, shit like that. No, I'll tell you what. It, my wife is is not a big. She's not as big on it either. She wants to do something, but it's not anything that's 
you know, oh my God, we're not doing anything or we exchange cards and I think it just depends you know, on the wife. Chocolates and probably. Yeah, yeah, I've only got one right now, so I can't compare it to others. Know. Yeah, that's why I asked. Yeah. All right. In that case, guys, we'll get out of here for another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear. Check out teamskip.com. Head on over, like I said, to truenutrition.com. You could use our code uh, advices for some savings. Uh, Once again, we've got Patreon. I'll put that down in the show notes if you guys want to help support our programming. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you probably already subscribed if you made it all the way through this show. But if you haven't, please do because we got several programs coming out each week. All your comments, likes, all that stuff help to boost us in the algorithm. Guys, we will see you soon. Gentlemen, thank you much, as always. 